0: Well, last week we saw why Jesus began to teach in parables. The crowds had grown into the thousands and they were more interested in seeing Jesus and touching him and being healed by him than hearing what he had to say. They were more interested in miracles than theology. Well, he wanted to share with them the spiritual truths that would heal their souls and their spirits, but they were more concerned about physical problems. So Jesus decided to hide spiritual truth in little stories, hoping that they would remember the stories and someday be open to the truths they contained. He also knew that we would embrace things better if we discovered them ourselves and that by hiding truths and stories he would make it possible for us to feel the excitement of discovery that would keep us searching and seeking for the life-changing truths that are found throughout his teaching and and his word so jesus quit teaching in the direct fashion that we see in the sermon on the mount and began to teach the masses in parables Today we're going to look at three parables that Jesus taught on the first occasion of their use, and then join him behind the scenes with the disciples as he lays open spiritual truths to those who are ready to receive them, truths that are hidden in parables. Now, Mark records three parables that were given on that day, but we know that there were more. Matthew records seven, and Mark includes one that Matthew didn't record, so there were at least eight parables. Now, chances are he didn't tell them one right after another. He probably shared one or two and, and then just sat there, giving them time to, to sink in. He may have even taken a, a lunch break. And that may have been when the disciples asked him about the parables. They were as surprised at his change in teaching style as were the crowds. He had started telling stories. And the three Mark records really didn't seem all that spiritual. They were about seeds. Now, the first one is generally known as the parable of the sower, but should probably be called the parable of the soils. The second had to do with the growth of seeds that land in good soil. And the third, the parable of the mustard seed, paints a picture of the tremendous potential released by a very small seed. As Jesus will explain, he was using these seed thoughts to illustrate the kingdom of God. And his teaching on the kingdom was radical, not only in style but content, because it went against common misconceptions concerning the kingdom of God. The Jewish masses thought of the kingdom of God in terms of a political kingdom and longed for the day when they would be able to overthrow the Roman government. Jesus taught that the kingdom of God is Within us, it's a spiritual kingdom, not a political, earthly kingdom at all. Well, needless to say, they weren't open to what he had to say. So he hid facts about the true nature of the kingdom in parables. And in the parables we come to today, we see how the kingdom is established, how it grows... And what it's intended to produce. The first parable teaches that the kingdom isn't established by force or political might. But by the sowing of seed. By broadcasting truths in the hope that some will fall in productive soil. Mark chapter 4 beginning with verse 3. Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and it came about that as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Another seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had arisen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Another seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. And other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, the crowd could probably see what Jesus was talking about when he said, behold, he was probably pointing to a farmer up on a hillside sowing seed. They could see that the birds were gathering, picking up the seed that fell on the pathways and didn't lodge in the crevices of the tilled soil. They knew the countryside and knew in some spots the topsoil was very thin, barely covering a layer of rock. They knew how seed would quickly sprout there but soon die because the roots couldn't go deep enough. And they knew that many of the farmers merely burnt off the weeds and thorns and that seed that fell over burned thistle roots would be choked out before it could mature. They knew what Jesus was talking about. They could see it. But he wasn't the U of I Extension Ag Advisor. So what was he trying to say? Apparently, it was something important. Because he finished with, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is more than a story. More than a lesson in agriculture, something was hidden beneath the surface of this story that Jesus wanted people to think about, to grapple with. And he wasn't playing games, playing hide and seek. He wanted them to discover truths that were hidden in the story, truths about the true nature of the kingdom of God. Most of the people there, however, would never accept what he had to say, at least not at that point in their lives. So Jesus didn't force the issue, but those who were open to the truth would get it if they had a little help. And Jesus wasn't trying to keep people in the dark, so when the disciples questioned him about the parable, he gladly explained it to them. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? And how will you understand all the parables? In order for them to understand this new way of teaching, Jesus was going to have to interpret this one for them. Then they could use that pattern for interpreting the others. He continues, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. And in a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word and the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on good soil, and they hear the word and accept it, And bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Jesus had already told the disciples that he was talking about the kingdom of God. He's now telling them how it comes to man. It doesn't come through politics, war, or revolution. It doesn't come through a regal display of power. The kingdom of God comes to us through the sowing of the word. By preaching, teaching, witnessing, by declaring certain life-changing truths. That is how the kingdom is established and how it spreads. Jesus then makes it clear that once the word has been proclaimed, the seed sown, what happens to it depends on the soil, and that is the real focus of the parable. When seed is sown, it doesn't always land in a fertile spot, and the four types of soil represent four common responses to the gospel— Responses that make it clear that whether it develops in our life or not depends on the condition of our heart. You know, At times, Satan can steal away the word before it can take root because our hearts are calloused. That can be true of a first exposure to the gospel and explains why some never accept it. And it explains why truth being presented to the saints bounces off some as if they were made of stone. If we're not open to the truth, if we're not here in spirit but only in body, if we've been beaten down the week before and our defenses are up, if we become so familiar with the words of truth that we no longer hear the truth, Satan can sit on our shoulder even in church and snatch away the word before it can take root. I think we've all been guilty of having a closed heart at times when the word is being proclaimed. And in those times, our heart was like the hard-packed earth of the roadway. The seed just lies there until Satan flies by and snatches it away. On the other hand, There's also a danger in being too open, of accepting something too impulsively. Sometimes our heart is wide open, but our brain isn't in gear. We really don't think something through and examine the implications of it. And then when expectations aren't met or our position is tested, we crumble because we really don't know what we believe or why we believe it. We need to be careful. When accepting something that alters our life, we can't simply follow fads that come and go. We have to let the roots of change go deep or the change won't last. We learned that from the shallow soil. Jesus then spoke of seed sown among the thorns, and there are many thorns that can choke out the truth. Jesus mentioned three, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. Now, Jesus made it clear that if we belong to him, we have no need to worry. He who cares for the birds of the field will care for those of us who have made him their Lord and Savior. Still, some Christians worry, and not just a momentary lack of confidence. They worry all the time about everything. Such fretful, anxious living undercuts faith and chokes out a trusting relationship. If we don't trust him with the things of the world, how are we going to trust him with the things of the world to come? Next, Jesus mentioned the deceitfulness of riches and how easy it is to get caught up in things, to focus our attention on them and let them become our number one concern. You know, it's easy to do. Because we have so much invested in them. And Jesus said, where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. That's why it's so important to invest in the kingdom of God. That's why tithing is so important. We don't give 10% of our income because God needs it. We give it because we need to give it. It forces us to make a sizable investment of our material goods in spiritual things. Tithing is the way we grub out the roots of greed and the deceitfulness of riches that choke the life out of so many Christians. And then... Jesus mentions simply the desires for other things, always thinking the grass is greener on the other side, always wanting something new and different and exciting. You know, Some people come to Christ to get a spiritual high, but after the initial thrill is gone, they're ready to try something else. They never really experience the abundant life because it doesn't get a chance to mature. They're impatient, restless, ready to move on to something else before Christ is able to fill them. So their faith is choked out before it can produce fruit. Those are the bad soils. The calloused heart. The impulsive heart. And the thorn-filled there's also the good soil, an open, receptive heart that accepts the word in a realistic and positive manner and gives the seed a chance to take root and grow. If we are open to the word in that manner, it will grow and it will produce fruit. But we've got to be ready to receive the seed then we've got to give it a chance to grow and that is what the second parable teaches us and he was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil and goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts up and grows how he himself does not know The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, and then the head, then the mature grain in the head. When the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Mark is the only one who records this parable for us. And everyone who sows seed is glad that he did Because it tells us how the seed grows. The sower sows the seed. And the seed that falls into properly prepared and fertile soil just grows. It's not the sower's responsibility to make it grow. In fact, he can't. It's out of his hands. He can water the soil, he can provide missing nutrients, he can watch for worms and weeds and protect the emerging life, but he cannot make it grow. God is the author of life, and only God can make something that's alive grow. Paul said he planted and Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth that was taking place in Corinth, and that was true on both an individual and a collective basis. You cannot force someone to become a Christian. A good salesman might be able to get the response he wants, but only God can change a heart. And bring forth spiritual life. That's why we've got to be patient. And give God time to work in the lives and hearts of those we want to see come to him. We plant. We water. We pray. We encourage. We love. But we cannot produce life. Only God can do that. That's true of individuals, and it's true of churches. We can build bigger buildings. We can even build bigger congregations through marketing and management. But we cannot make the body of Christ grow. It's a living thing, and only God can make living things grow. And the goal of growth isn't just to get bigger it's to reach maturity if a corn stalk just kept growing it might reach into the clouds like Jack's beanstalk but it wouldn't do what the sower hoped for he intended for it to produce grain to be made ready for harvest not to just keep growing It's often been said that a healthy church is a growing church. That is not necessarily true. A healthy church is one that has become what God intends it to be. That's doing what God wants it to do. That's producing the harvest He wants. And if the seed is in good soil, that is properly cared for, it will produce what God wants. We don't have to worry about it. We just have to give it a chance to grow, to develop, to become what God wants it to be. And then we will marvel at what it becomes. And he said, How shall we picture the kingdom of God, or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seed that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. The smallest of seeds can have the greatest potential. It was true of the mustard seed, and it's true of the gospel. The kingdom of God has grown from a very small beginning. A dozen disciples. To where it now encompasses millions. And all that had to be done was sow the seed. Water it. And let God give the increase. The kingdom of God, however, is not about numbers. About political power or influence. The kingdom is within us. And the numbers simply reflect how many people have let the seed grow in their life. So this is more than a picture of the church as a whole. It's a picture of our life. And Jesus is telling us not to underestimate what God can do in our life. If you accept the truth openly and let it take root, and then feed it and water it and cultivate it, God will do marvelous things in your life. Things will happen that you never expected. Your life will change in ways you never anticipated. You will be blessed beyond measure. And just as the mustard plant became a blessing to the birds of the air, so you too, as you become all God intends, will be a blessing to others and to him. That is what the kingdom of God is all about. It's about what God can do in and through us and he can do it in you if your heart is open to the truth is your heart ready to receive the word if it is the savior is waiting to enter your heart why don't you let him Amen.